Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and mom sense experiences. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. I think there are opportunities in all of our ecosystems, whether it's the workplace to better adapt and support differently wired learners so that they can really contribute what they have to share. In school systems, we have to make big changes. And I think that COVID is actually highlighting where a lot of the weaknesses are in the traditional education model. As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. If you're a parent who's grappling with all the different challenges that come with parenting in a pandemic and you're struggling to find resources, chances are you've already heard of Tilt Parenting. And it's the brainchild of Deborah Raber. So Debbie Raber, MA, is a parenting activist, New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, and speaker who moved her career in a more personal direction in 2016 when she founded Tilt Parenting, a top resource for parents like her who are raising differently wired children. The Tilt Parenting podcast has grown to be a top podcast in iTunes Kids and Family category with nearly 3 million downloads and a slate of guests that includes high-profile thought leaders across the parenting and education space. A certified positive discipline trainer and a regular contributor to Psychology Today and Attitude Magazine, Debbie's newest book is Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. In November 2018, she spoke at TEDx Amsterdam, delivering a talk entitled, Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be having this conversation. Absolutely. Tell us what it was like growing up for you. Wow. This is something I'm talking with my therapist a lot right now, but (laughs) I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia with a sister, two parents. We were just very simple, simple life growing (laughs) up. I was really into gymnastics when I was younger and went to public schools and very social kid, pivoted to being a track and field and theater person in middle school and high school. And yeah, I think I had a pretty typical, maybe a little sheltered childhood 
and definitely spent most of my childhood just desperately wanting to leave small town behind to move to New York and have a big life. So I was very (laughs) impatient as a kid. Yes, yes. And I feel like a lot of us can relate to that when you grow up and have kind of a quaint upbringing, you're ready to move on to bigger things. (laughs) Yeah, I was ready. And what was your relationship like with your parents and your sister? Because now you're in a business where, you know, you're talking about parenting all day, every day. So do you draw upon uh, memories and circumstances that you live through? Yeah, I had a very different experience as a child than my child does. I, I grew up in a fairly religious household. It was a very authoritarian parenting style. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of punishment, fear, driven uh, motivation, which led to me trying to get away with what I could get away with. Um, <laughs> I have a sister who's two years older. We were not close. In fact, we really did not like each other at all. Mm-hmm. And she's now my absolute best friend, confidant, the most incredible aunt to my child. And she and I have spent a lot of time kind of working on our relationship and reflecting on on the way the choices our parents made. Right, right. I love that. Tell us about your career trajectory and how it started in media and video production. So my career is so all over the place, but I definitely graduated from college, wanted to change and save the world. I wanted to do that through documentary, journalism, news production. And so I, for a number of years, worked for relief and development organizations doing documentaries. I worked on a public television show called Human Rights Television. And I worked in that space for a while. And then I I pivoted into kids television because of a project I did at UNICEF. I got to know a lot of folks and at Disney and Nickelodeon in these places. And so I landed at Nickelodeon. I worked on Blue's Clues for a few years, which was a dream job and just the most incredible group of women I could have ever had the chance to connect with. And did that for a while, worked at Cartoon Network for a while doing development. And then I left the corporate world in 2013 because I decided I'm going to forge my own path. And so since 2013, I've, I've written a number of books. I used to write books for teen girls, kind of empowerment, self-esteem books, mostly nonfiction. And then in the past five years now, I've pivoted now to being in the parenting space. So I like to keep busy. I have lots of ideas and I get really excited when I can sink my teeth into a new creative project. That's incredible. I want to take it back to Blue's Clues because Angela Santomero has been on the show and I know the two of you have worked together. So tell us about that. Gosh, Angela, she knows this. Like we're we're quite close as friends, but she's still someone that I mention in interviews as being one of my role models because it was when I worked with her and she was one of the creators of Blue's Clues and really, you know, ran that office, which was very women focused. And that in and of itself was so wonderful. But Angela was the first person who really showed me that you don't have to wait for opportunities. You can actually think about what do you want and then work to create that in your own life. Cause I, wow. I think I was, it was in my late twenties and I was still waiting for people to notice me and to pick me. And okay. she's the one who said, you can choose yourself. And that stuck with me. Wow. That's amazing. And that's exactly what you did because you forged your own path. 
So let's talk about what your motherhood journey was like, because I feel like it's tied to, you know, your career path a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I will say first that I was not someone who knew my whole life. I wanted to be a mom. I was always kind of like, we'll wait and see, you know? (laughs) And, but my husband and I, we'd been married for five years and we always just, it was an ongoing conversation. And when we made the choice to have a child, it felt really intentional. And I was so certain I was going to be the best, most like intentional, conscious mom. I'd written all these books for teenagers and for kids. And I, I just got it. And then, you know, we had a child who was not the child that I expected and that he was much more intense. And it wasn't, uh, he was colicky. Like from day one, we were kind of like, oh my gosh, what, this is not what I thought was going to happen. This is not what I see my friends dealing with, Mm. with their kids. And so it was a kind of coming to terms with the expectations and plans I had and the vision for who I thought I would be as a mom and what was actually unfolding <laughs> in my day-to-day life. So yeah, it's been a journey, but it, it is really the impetus for everything that I do now. So I'm so grateful for every part of it. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about maybe some of the challenges or low points that you went through in your motherhood journey, because I feel like it's something that we don't talk about much. The biggest challenges were really when my son was young and we didn't really understand that he was a different kind of a learner or that going to the sweet little preschool, we lived in Seattle at the time, you know, that we had identified because we loved, you know, their approach to learning and that they baked and they had movement. We just loved everything (laughs) about it. And it never occurred to me that, that we couldn't just make those choices, you know, that we, that really felt in alignment with us and that it would work out. And so as we kind of uncovered who my son was and really grappled in those early preschool days and early elementary days with really intense behavior challenges in school with compliance and with getting along with other kids and reading social cues and being explosive and dealing with that at home as well. And so as a parent, thinking, am I doing something wrong? Is there something going on? Or is this a parenting fail? And, you know, so there were a number of years where it just felt really overwhelming and confusing and, and isolating, right? We just felt like we were in this alone and no one knew how hard things were. And there's this deep sense that it's always going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about this in more detail if you want, but ultimately after a couple of fails in the public school and private school system for K first and second grade, we actually made a huge life change by moving abroad for my husband's work. But as part of that, we chose to homeschool, we chose to throw out all the rules. And I just really devoted myself to becoming curious about this kid I was raising and thinking about who is he and how can we adapt to meet him where he is instead of trying to fix him or get him back on the path that we wanted to be on. And that was the start of what really turn things around for our family. Wow. For someone who does have a young child that is differently wired, what advice do you have for them to pick up on as far as cues? And what steps did you take? Was it pediatrician appointment or contacting a behavioralist? I mean, what what did you take that you feel like, you know, we didn't have to go in that direction and this direction set us on the right path to understand as parents? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's really important to trust our intuition because our pediatrician, I don't know if it's because we had good days when we went for appointments, but he was like, this is all normal within the realm of development. And, but I knew I was like, "Mm, I don't know. This feels a little too tough. This feels a little too intense. And why am I getting the phone calls for pickup from school at 10 in the morning? And why is this happening? So I think it's important that we trust our, our instincts and that we find people that we trust to reach out to because there's so many of us. I think we're afraid to even talk about what's hard, but really differently wired children. And that could be kids with ADHD or gifted kids or sensory issues, autism. They're everywhere. So Mm -hmm. finding some friends, getting some referrals. I'm a big fan of occupational therapists as the place to start or developmental pediatrician and start to kind of look at the behaviors as clues to something underlying that's going on. So as a parent, we all, we often just want to fix the behavior, especially throwing or biting or hitting or, you know, this behavior, we want it to end. Yeah. But our job is to take a step back and say, okay, there's a reason this is happening. How yeah. can we get curious about this? And that's where we want to put our energy. So we have to make that mindset switch kind of right away. Yes. Yes. That makes so much sense. You have a love-hate relationship with the word disruptor. I do have a love-hate relationship because disruptive would absolutely have been one of the words that would have been used to describe my son and was when he was little because he was disruptive in class. He was disruptive on the soccer field. He would like in (laughs) any kind of environment. And you know, when you really look at as a society, what we value in terms of innovation and you, the Elon Musks of the world and the people who are kind of pushing us forward as a society, they're all disruptors exactly. in a way that we we worship. We're like, oh yeah. my gosh, you know? Yes. I'm certain Elon Musk was not an easy kid to teach when he was in second or third grade. I mean, and so I like this idea of looking at our kids who are disruptive now and not thinking, okay, this isn't a difference. This is can be challenging, but it's not a bad thing. Like right. the things that made my child disruptive are the things that are his absolute strengths. And I know yeah. are just going to be part of what he contributes. So the term differently wired, my son like approved that, you know, I, he was along with me as I developed tilt parenting. And he would always say, well, this is a negative connotation or this makes us sound like we're that. And Differently Wired recognizes that there are differences, that we're all different, right? There is no one way of being normal. There is no right way. And certainly there are challenges that come with all of these things. There are challenges with having ADHD, but there are also strengths. And so if we can start recognizing difference, not deficit, that would change so much for our kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. In your TED Talk in Amsterdam, you mentioned that we as a society have to make major changes. As you said, we're all differently wired. So what are those changes? Even within the workplace, which is something I talked about in my TEDx talk, workplaces and the process for getting a job and the interview process alone is really not friendly to a lot of differently wired people, which, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's all over Zoom. It's actually probably a lot more friendly because that's a much more comfortable way for a lot of, you know, people on the spectrum or others to to interview. 
Or if we look at workspaces that are, you know, these open floor plans, that's really tough on someone with ADHD. And I think there are opportunities in all of our ecosystems, whether it's the workplace to better adapt and support differently wired learners so that they can really contribute what they have to share. In school systems, we have to make big changes. And I think that COVID is actually highlighting where a lot of the weaknesses are in the traditional education model. But we need to make changes so that these kids can actually learn the way that they naturally learn and not get punished or held back because they process information in a different way than Mm -hmm. your average student. I too struggle with, you know, recognizing my unhealthy thinking about certain neurodifferences and labels. And that's really not fair. So we need to kind of push back against stigma and recognize the way that we may be contributing to these kids and these families being marginalized. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, as parents, how we can understand our uh, child's unique wiring and come to terms with it. What inner work can we do to just better our understanding and awareness? I think the first thing we have to do is really get to know our own kind of triggers, like where are we getting stuck? So we all have them, right? No matter how our kid is wired, we might really have a problem with a kid who can't sit still at the dinner table. That's just a random example. And we might decide, no, you have to sit a certain way or that's bad behavior, but we're not actually looking at the child we have. That might be a child who needs to move to regulate their brain. And so I think we tend to move forward on autopilot based on the way that we were raised. Either we want to emulate what our parents did, or we want to do the exact opposite or somewhere in between, or we read these parenting books and we say, I'm going to subscribe to this philosophy. I'm going to do this without considering who the child is. And so it's so important that we just get really curious. We start to question the things that we are prioritizing and thinking, are those in the big picture? Does that really matter? Or what is my why for this being such an important thing in my family? Does this really matter in terms of meeting this child where they are? So that's where we start is really kind of getting curious about ourselves. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I want to focus on what it means to be differently wired, you know, how it can kind of manifest in our kids. Yeah. So the term differently wired, I use as kind of a huge umbrella. So Mm -hmm. it includes actual kind of formal diagnoses like autism spectrum or ADHD or dyslexia or dysgraphia or another learning disability. It actually might be kids who don't have any diagnosis at all, but we recognize that maybe our kid is hypersensitive, you know, covers their ears when they're in a really loud place, or maybe really hates those itchy tags in their clothes or gets overwhelmed, might be come across as being really shy, but maybe that's a sensory thing. And so I like this bigger umbrella term because it kind of shows us that actually, again, there is no one way to be human. There is no no normal. And we can kind of look at all of these together and recognize that there are just variances. Yes, exactly. Tell us about the books you've written because you are such an accomplished author. And I want to mention some of the titles so that my listeners get you know a high level understanding of 
the breadth of work that you have. One is doable, the girl's guide to accomplishing just about anything, language of love, chill, stress-reducing techniques for a more balanced, peaceful you, in their shoes, extraordinary women describe their amazing careers and your most recent, which is differently wired, raising an exceptional child in a conventional world. So could you give us kind of a cliff notes of what we would you know, get to indulge in in each of the, the reads? Sure. So in their shoes, I will talk about births because that was my first book that I did without being attached to a kind of a bigger brand. That was my baby. And I really wanted to help teen girls have a realistic view about what different careers looked like, because there was a lot of research going on that girls were like, for example, becoming forensic scientists because of CSI. And then they were in the career and they're like, wait a minute, this is not what I saw on CBS. <laughs> so um, I really wanted to portray real examples. And I will say one of the people I interviewed, I wrote that book on 2007 is Kamala Harris. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to be the VP. Yeah. Um, I got to interview Shonda Rhimes for that book, like just incredible people. So that is still like a dear project to me. And I updated it a few years ago. So it's um, new and improved. Chill, I wrote after that. And that was really when we started learning more and more about how just maxed out and stressed today's teens are. And, you know, I wrote that 10 years ago. It's gotten even worse. And so the purpose of that book is just to, I presented a ton of different ways to approach stress, but in a teen friendly way, whether it's meditation or getting more organized or um, leaning on a support system, lots of different options in there. And then doable, well, I'll just say language of love is a little young adult novel because I had an opportunity to write that with Simon and Schuster at the time who was doing my other books. And I was like, I want to try writing a novel. So it's a very sweet romantic comedy that was so fun to write. Yeah. I I remember sitting and writing and being like, oh, I can just make this stuff up. I don't have to research any of it. And that was really freeing for me. And then after that, I wrote Doable. And that's the last kind of team book I wrote. I'm really good at getting stuff done. I am, I have great executive function skills. I can plan things out. I'm like apps that are about habit change and life. So I'm like, I'm their dream person because I follow things and I do them. And <laughs> so doable was my attempt to really help teens accomplish any goal, no matter what their cognitive style is, you know, the way that they do things in the world to kind of hack themselves so that they can achieve the dreams that they have. Now I have asked my son to read it. <laughs> He's 16. He's like, yeah, it's pretty good. But um, it's not necessarily working for for every team per se, but it, it's great for teams who, you know, who are really motivated and, and have kind of some big goals that they're working towards. That's so cool. Does your son Asher kind of have a say? Is he very vocal about what you're doing with Tilt Parenting or your, what you're working on? Yeah. So he was very involved when I launched Tilt. And in fact, we launched it with a Facebook Live, the two of us. Where we talked, where we introduced this is happening. And it was really, I love looking at that little video. It's such a little guy at the time. 
he's been super supportive. He used to be on my podcast. He's done almost 20 episodes with me because he's super articulate. And so he could explain like, well, this is what it feels like when I get distracted, or this is what it feels like to really be into an area of interest. So I'm so thankful for that contribution that he made. Now that he's, you know, a teen in the past few years, he's really not wanted to be involved, (laughs) which I is appropriate. And I completely respect so he knows what's going on. He he still gets emails through me thanking him for an episode. He's proud of being a part of that. And he's super, super supportive of the work that I do. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with it at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, he helped build it. And then, yeah, yes. I, I completely yeah. respect that. Too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, tell us about your uh, Tilt Together community and, you know, who is ideal to be a part of it? Or if it's, is it all parents? Yeah. So Tilt Together, I started a few years after Tilt Parenting because I got the feedback. I was actually on a book tour for my book, Differently Wired. And this group of maybe four or five moms came up to me afterwards in some stop in Pennsylvania. And they were like, we have seen each other in the community for years at soccer pickup and school drop-offs. And we had no idea that each other was raising a differently wired kid. Wow. And they were so excited because they're like, we're creating a group. We're going to start yeah. meeting together. <laughs> yes. And and so that started happening more and more. And people said, can you help us facilitate groups? So I created kind of a framework and a little toolkit for parents who wanted to meet in person. And that started happening. There are like 35 or 40 groups now in the US. But then I decided, let's take this online so people can really connect with resources and each other, no matter where they are. And so Tilt Together now is a Facebook group. I think there's close to 6,000 people in it. And it is very much a place to, yeah, like I'm looking for a speech language pathologist in Missoula or just advice. Like I'm trying this ADHD med with my child or my kid isn't sleeping or how do I get my child to attend to their Zoom classes? So it's that kind of community, but it's very, um, the whole philosophy of Tilt is optimism and positivity and strengths-based. And so that is the framework for the group. And so you don't have to have a child with a formal diagnosis to, to benefit from that group. If you have a child who isn't thriving in some way and you want resources, it's a great place to drop in. Now tell us about the podcast because you have a very loyal community and I love that, you know, you have your Facebook lives, um, which are way more interactive and uh, the thought leaders that you bring onto your show. So give us some highlights of that. Yeah. So the podcast, it's going to be five years in April, which is crazy pants to me. And weekly really since then with the exception of a few little breaks and so I had this like dream list of the guests I wanted to have on and I think I've had all but one of them on my show with over the years you know once you get a couple then you can start reaching yeah it's true tell us some of these names I had Steve Silberman on my podcast, who's uh, who wrote this book called uh, Neuro Tribes, which is a huge New York Times bestseller and really changed the way we view autism and Asperger's. I've had Jonathan Fields on, who created the Good Life Project and was kind of a mentor for me uh, for many years. He came on my show. You know, all the Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson and the authors of all the books that I grew up reading and using as my Bibles. You know, there's a book on sensory processing disorder and the grandmother of that 
of sensory processing issues is Carol Kronowitz. She came on my show, just all these people. It's been phenomenal. And I really prioritize also having a lot of neurodivergent adults on because it's really important to me that I'm not just talking about this, but I have autistic guests. I have guests with ADHD. I've done specials on adults who've been diagnosed as adults and what that's like. I've had my husband on a few times. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, my son and you know, you have a podcast. It's just such a wonderful way to share uh, really great resources in that people normally wouldn't have access to. And then selfishly, I get so much out of it because I am raising a differently wired kid. So I make sure I get my questions answered too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can completely relate to that. So I know you, you know, are very intuitive and you trust your mom sense all the time, but is there one occasion that sticks out in your mind? Yeah. I do do it all the time, I will say. And the example that I think is probably the had the biggest impact on our family was pulling my son out of uh, first grade kind of midway through the school year. It felt like a terrifying thing to do because we didn't know what came after that. But I really saw what was happening. happening and I was like, this is going to create harm for my kid. Like this is like trauma. And I don't care what comes next. We have to just do this. And so it felt like jumping off the cliff a little bit, Yeah, but it was a hundred percent the best thing that we could have done and really did start us on this whole path. So it's, I, I get, I feel like I get feedback every day that that was the right choice. Wow. And I mean, by sharing that you're helping another mom who's like on the fence to yeah. just go with it, go with your gut. I hear from moms all the time about how guilty they feel that they spent so many years, you know, pushing something on and then on their child and without really stopping and looking at, is this the right thing? And I, I don't think there's room in our lives for that kind of guilt. No. So I think listening to that inner voice, because we do, we know, we always mm -hmm. know. Yeah, so true. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? <laughs> yes, it is related to what we just discussed, but it's by Neil Donald Walsh. And it's very simple. And I have it all over my house. And it's that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I love that because there is nothing comfortable about parenting at all anyway. Um, certainly not in parenting differently wired kids. And the sooner we can embrace the discomfort and lean into that, the better we will be able to just show up and, and yeah. lean into what we've got. And when we do that, that's where like the most amazing stuff is. That's where real life is. So yeah. we have to kind of take that leap, so to speak. That's so true. Wow. I just, I love the shift in, in perspective. Wow. It's now time for mom hall when we share products we love. Okay, mom hall. So is there a product or app or really anything? It could be something completely basic that you are relying on these days and, and you want to share with the audience. Yes. Right now, like in this moment, I've been using the Calm app, which mm -hmm. I've used Headspace in the past and took a long break. And recently I'm like, I need more of that in my life. So I've been using Calm and I really like that. And I've also been using Noom lately. Okay. And because I hear it on all the podcasts, like so many yep. podcasts I listen to, I'm like, all right, I got to get, you know, 
I just got to figure this out. I'm a super active person. I run and I, and I eat pretty well, but I, through COVID have, you know, found myself forming some habits that wouldn't be as healthy as I would like. (laughs) And so I'm really actually, it's about habit lifestyle and creating new habits and I'm digging it so far. That's cool. Where can my listeners find you? So tiltparenting.com is the hub for everything that I offer. And you can look through all the podcast episodes. I have them categorized by theme, homeschooling or ADHD or parent conversations, anything like that. And a ton of resources on that website. And then on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's all at Tilt Parenting. And then that Facebook group, the community we talked about is just tilt together. So you can search for that on Facebook and you'll, you'll find the group. Great. Thank you, Debbie, for taking the time out today. I love the philosophy that is tilt parenting. And I feel like, you know, as parents, we don't know what's around the bend, but if you take a moment and experience joy in that tilt, it can be so liberating. So thank you for being with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. That's total mom sense.